Well, good morning, Bay Area Community Church. My name is Greg St. Cyr. It's my joy to serve as the lead pastor here to welcome you this morning. We have been on an incredible journey as a church family over the last 12 months. I want to give you an update on it. That journey we've called Unrivaled. Unrivaled is really all about the supremacy of Jesus, the preeminence of Christ over all of life. And Unrivaled is this 24-month generosity initiative, which is fueling our ongoing ministries, and it's helping us invest in the next generation, in children and students, and it's expanding God's kingdom advancement all around the world from here to the nations. And we're actually at the halfway mark. We're 12 months in of the 24 months. I thought it would be a good idea to give everybody an update. And I want you to know it has been absolutely amazing, incredible what God has been doing. I mean, we moved in a couple of months ago to our new student ministry warehouse and the children's expansion. That's only possible because of the generosity of our church family. We've been able to accelerate work, not only here locally, but in places like South Sudan and Ghana and Uganda and Russia and Poland and uh, many, many other places. So 12 months ago, uh, we put this challenge forward and I want to share with you the incredible amount of finances that the Lord has raised. And when I say this number to you, it will probably take your breath away. It should because God is so faithful. This would not happen without the faithful sacrificial generosity of so many in our church family. So the, the goal that we set over two years was $16.5 million. That's a lot of money. To date, we're almost 12 months in, over $7,750,000 has been given. That is huge. That is helping us move forward towards the vision of a debt-free facility. That is expanding the kingdom all around. And every dollar that has been given since last June is part of Enrivaled. So I'm here this morning, really on behalf of the whole church leadership, of all of the elders, all of your pastors and staff, just to say thank you. We're absolutely humbled. We're absolutely overwhelmed by the goodness of God. You know, uh, we started strong with Unrivaled. Then from December up through April, things started drifting downward. And I don't know why, but in May, it was like the Lord just decided that he was going to bless again. And so if you have been giving, we say thank you, especially for last month. Last month was just a great month uh, financially for our church. So um, many of us filled out one of these, an Unrivaled commitment card a year ago. And if you, maybe you weren't here then, maybe you started coming uh, later, maybe you were away during that series. Um, let me encourage you, if you haven't, you can take one of these on your way out, take it home, pray about it. You can come back and you can lock arms in an official way with all of us. You can get more information on the website, baccunrivaled.org. So again, on behalf of your whole church family, God is working and we're so thankful. Let me bring our ushers forward. I'm going to pray. We're about to hear a great message from our campus pastor, Brian Hopper. It's on um, living a missional life, an everyday missionary. All of us have people in our lives that don't know Jesus. 
And so I also want to pray for friends and family, co-workers that don't know Jesus, that the Lord would use us. Father, thank you. You are extravagantly generous. And the greatest act of generosity was sending the Lord Jesus. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for the power of the gospel. And thank you, Lord, that we live in a free nation and you have blessed each and every one of us. You've called us to steward the resources that you give. Help us to steward faithfully, generously. Help us as a church to use um, all of this body's generosity to advance your kingdom in a God-honoring way. We do pray for loved ones, friends, family that don't know the love of Jesus. God, we pray you would use us in powerful ways. And we ask this now in the name of Jesus. Amen. There is no other name but the name that is Jesus. He who was and still is and will be through it all. So come what may, the space between all the things unseen and this reckoning. thing. I wanted to drop the mic there. Hey, um, so you got to sing next to each other, but sometimes we put the room a little dark, and some of you don't like that, but we do that so that you feel intimate moments, but we also want you to feel part of community. Okay, so um, give some high fives away, huh? Yes? Can we do that? Okay, go ahead and stand. Give some high fives away. Say hi to people. It's all good. Yeah, you're in the moment. Well, good morning. I'll give you a high five as well. Kind of going old school Bay Area. Get to stand up, say hi to your neighbors. Thanks, Jonathan, for that great transition. Uh, great to be with you this morning. I especially want to give a shout out to uh, those of you that are watching online. Uh, I want to say hello to our Easton crew. 
Uh, glad you guys are with us this morning. Great to be worshiping and, and hearing the word with you guys. And those of you that are in the chapel, uh, equally so glad that you're with us here on campus and uh, getting ready to hear the Lord's word. So, um, man, just excited. We got uh, the Lord's just been really working this morning. It's my prayer that he would continue to do that in our time together. We kick off a new series this morning called uh, Everyday Missionary. And uh, Everyday Missionary is simply this picture that you and I would be a missionary every day of our life. Now, um, what this is about, you know, you know, if you've been around Bay Area, you know we have our mission statement that we're here all called to make passionate, maturing followers of Jesus from here to the nations. That's what we feel like the Lord's calling us to. And we have a vision statement that some of you may or may not know. Everyone, we have a vision that everyone who calls Bay Area Community Church their home would see themselves as a missionary. Everyone a missionary. That's our vision statement. Now, that's a great mission statement. It's a great vision statement, I think, simply because Jesus has a mission. He said in Matthew 28, 18 through 22, he said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all the things that I've commanded uh, you to do, and I'll be with you to the ends of age of the age. And then in Acts 1.8, uh, Jesus, right before he ascends, he gathers with his disciples, and he says, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you're going to be my witnesses here in Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria, and the remotest parts of the world. And so these two statements that Jesus makes sets the course, really, for where we are today, some couple thousand years later. And it's rooted in that, that we as a church, we feel like what Jesus is calling us to is to live on mission with him, that we would see our lives as a missionary. And so this week and next week, we want to just take a few moments and just talk about what that looks like in your life and in my life. Now, can I just pray for a moment real quick? Let me just pray, just put us together and then I'll jump in here real quick. Let me just pray. Lord, thank you for the, your word that never returns void. Thank you, Jesus uh, I just think back to these words that we've just been singing and the truth that we're proclaiming and just believing. And so, Lord, I pray now by the power of your spirit that you will unite us together and that you would do a work in us. So we yield to you, Holy Spirit, use your word to teach us, to show us, uh, let the things that come out of my mouth actually be the things that you would speak so that each one, all those who have ears to hear would hear. And we thank you, Jesus, we praise you, we trust you, and we leave this in your name. Amen. So we have this, uh, this idea of everyone being a missionary, and, uh, and there's two problems with this. <laughs> right off the bat, this is great. We have two problems with our vision statement. I'll probably lose my job over this one. Two, two problems. The first thing is, is that our understanding of a missionary, what a missionary is, is skewed. See, I think if I were to ask you, what is a missionary, the, likely, the answer that I would expect to hear back from you would be like, those are the folks who have this special calling from God, and they raise money, and God sends them across the world to like jungles and to people who live in villages and native tongues, and like, and I got to go, and I got to bring the gospel to them, and that's, that's what missionaries do. And over the course of the last 50, 60 years, our understanding of missionary, to some degree, that would be a true statement. That would be actual, right? But it's not the full statement. 
In fact, uh, I'll just draw your attention to the article that Alan, our missional community pastor, wrote in this month's Go and Make magazine. If you want to get a clear definition of what a missionary looks like, I'd encourage you to read that article. But that's our first problem. We don't fully yet understand or we don't think of ourselves as missionaries because of our definition of being a missionary. Second thing is living on mission, being a missionary for most of us, it's an add-on thing that we're supposed to do. In other words, this is, certain, this is what certain kinds of Christians or followers of Jesus are supposed to do. It's an extra. It's on the peripheral of our lives. It's on the Christian to-do list of what we're called to do. But this morning, I contend that being an everyday missionary is actually at the heart. It's at the center of what it means to follow Jesus and what it means to be part of his church. Capital C Church, the Church Universal. And the heart of my message this morning is really simply that I just believe that what the scriptures teach and what the scriptures illustrate is that when we are living in accordance to this story, then mission is simply an outflow. It's an effect of what happens by living on uh, God's story. Now, the reality is most of us, myself included, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, most of us, I hate to say it, don't live according to this story. Most of us, in my experience, typically live according to our own story. See, what happens is, as a kid, as we're growing up, uh, there are certain factors and influence of the environment, the way in which we're raised, that there begins a narrative that begins to emerge out of our life. Our dreams, our aspirations, the longings of our heart, the things that we are wanting out of life, begin to shape and form a story that leads us in a particular direction. And most of us, even as believers, when left to our own, we follow that storyline. See, I guess I'm going to suppose that there are probably some of us here today whose story, whose life story is rooted in prosperity and the ease of life, making money. That if I just make so much money, then my life is going to be okay. If I just get that promotion, then things are going to be okay. So everything that I'm doing is aimed to try to provide a financial base for my family, retirement, what my IRA account looks like. There are others of us here whose life story is seeking comfort. I just want it easy. I just don't want to take on too many responsibilities. I just don't want to have too much mess my life, try to keep it simple. All I want is simplicity and comfort. I just want it easy. And so I'm not going to take faith risks. I'm not, definitely not going on a missions trip. I'm not going to do any that kind of stuff. I just want to keep it simple. Some of us are focused, our life story is on satisfaction, food, drink, entertainment, the things that satiate our, our lives. And so everything that we do is aligned with those kinds of things. Some of us for security, some of us self-sufficiency, some of us injustice. Maybe you never got the break that everybody else got. Maybe if somebody would have told you how it was done, your life would have been different. So instead, you're wrestling around with all the things that aren't right in your life. And so that's your story. Or maybe there's something that's happened to you. And maybe there's a sense of injustice or anger or frustration because things aren't working out the way you thought they were. Do you see? There's a storyline that each of us lives our life in. And, and, and when we live our lives, ultimately all of those storylines, <laughs> they're all about me. They're all about self. They're all about you. But see, Jesus came on the scene and he did something different. Jesus came on the scene and he said things like, seek first my kingdom. Seek first my kingdom and my righteousness and all these things will be added onto you. And, and Jesus said later, he said, I am the way. It's my way. 
This is the way. I am the truth. You're looking for truth? You want things that are true? I am the truth. You want life? You want life? I am the life, he says. And nobody comes to the Father except through me. And later he says, he's like illustrating that there's something grander, something bigger. He says, I came from the Father. I came into the world. I spent this time with you, and I'm going back to the Father, and I'm going to leave you here in the world. This idea of that that there's a grander story. See, what Jesus tells us is, what Jesus shows us is, there's a grander story. There's a bigger story, a truer story that's unfolding right now. And this story supersedes all other stories. It's so powerful, so pervasive, that all the other storylines that promise fulfillment and joy and peace, they fall flat in comparison to this story. Now, see, this morning, what I believe is that most of us are living according to our story. And in reality, there's this bigger story. There's this amazing story that God is unfolding right now, right here in real time. And he's not only presenting this story to you, but he's inviting you to participate in his story with him. So the question this morning really is, whose story are you in? Whose story are you orienting your life around? Whose story is driving your narrative in your life? Now, I was reminded of this reality, this truth, a couple weeks ago. And if I can be just completely transparent with you for a minute, let me just tell you that living on mission, living a missional life with others focused and thinking about those who are not yet followers of Jesus, this is just not an easy thing for me. It's not. It's just not an easy thing for me. In fact, I can tell you there are many times when after a day's work or a week's work, when I drive down my road, turn into my driveway, and I see my neighbors and their family playing in the street, I'm like, oh, i got to go talk to them. And I have great neighbors, and we have great friendship and a great relationship, but I turn the corner and they're out there, and I'm like, oh, I wish somebody else would talk to them about Jesus i got to do this, and really all I want to do is pull in my driveway. I want to go in the house, close the door, pour down the blinds, and just, like, stare at a beige wall for a little while. I'm an introvert. I'm a five on the, on the uh, Enneagram, and so it's like I'm, you know, i got issues, basically. <laughs> but when it comes to living on mission, I'm like, ah, oh, it's another thing i got to do. i got to get out. i got to go over there and talk to them. And I was watching this TV show a couple weeks ago, and it reminded me of what reality is. You probably heard of this show. It's called Designated Survivor. And uh, it's the, the later version of 24, right? I mean, it's Kiefer Sutherland. And uh, I, my wife and I were watching this show. It's on Netflix. It's a pretty decent show. It's like 21 episodes for a season. So I felt like the de Designated Survivor was me just to get through it all. But um, basically, this is a real deal. The government actually has a thing called designated successor. And so when they do like they gather all the government together in the Capitol building to do like a state of the union kind of thing, they randomly select one cabinet member, one congressperson or whatever, and they hide them away at a building around the corner and they make them watch it on TV in the event that something happens at the Capitol building and we lose all of our government. This ensures that we have consistency, succession in our government. Well, I'm not going to give anything away from the show because if you watch the three, first three minutes, you get it. But lo and behold, something happens. <laughs> Capital goes up. And Kiefer, Kiefer Sutherland, who's this low-level, uh, he oversees housing or something like that. He's a cabinet member. In an instant, he becomes president. 
Secret Service rush in, this, you know, the Capitol building's in flames. Secret Service rush in, they grab him, they take him to the White House, put his hand on the Bible, raise his hand. He gets an oath, and he instantly becomes the President of the United States. And I was thinking about this. I was thinking, this is us. This is us. This is me. See, he went from living his life in the, in the show. His wife was an attorney. He's got two small kids. And he's just thinking of going to work every day in D.C., fighting traffic and trying to find parking. And he like, he's got his wife and his family. He's thinking about his kids and how he's going to raise them and doing that kind of stuff. And then in an instant, as he becomes president, it all changes. See, how he thought of himself completely changes. How others thought of him completely changes. What he thought about completely changes. He's now not going to think about his own life. He's got to think about the whole country. Right? He's empowered. He's empowered to do all this all of a sudden. And I was thinking, this is what happens to us spiritually. What happens to us spiritually is when we place our faith in Christ, the old life disappears and the new life is here. And much like Kiefer Sutherland there, that's what happened to me. It's like the difference between driving down my street and seeing my neighbors and thinking, oh, i got to go talk to them. What am I going to say this time? To, oh, my gosh. Okay, they're out. Lord, what would you want me to do? The difference is me thinking about not the Brian Hopper story, not your story, but thinking about God's story. And when I live myself, when I live my life in light of God's story, it's a game changer. Everything changes. And, but you have to know God's story, right? We need to know what God's story is. So let me just take a minute and remind you of what God's story is. Because the world impresses upon you so many alternative stories wanting you to believe them, wanting you to live in them. The Instagram life, the Snapchat life of everything's perfect and everything's great. But reality says come something completely different, amen? And so there's another story at play here. And if you don't know what God's story is, I need to share it with you. See, God's story began in the very beginning, the beginning of all time before anything else was created. The Father, Son, the Holy Spirit lived together in this perfect relationship. And out of their grace, he created. He created. And everything that he created, because he's good, everything else was good. And when it came to creating humanity, it wasn't good. It was very good. And the reason it was very good was because he created us in his image. That's who we are as men and women, who we are as people, reflect the triune Godhead. That how we think and our responsibility and our morals and all those, that sense of goodness and rightness that we can think, it reflects who God is. And man, when he made Adam and Eve the first time, he was like, this is good stuff. These are good. I like this. In fact, this is the best over all of creation right here. And Adam and Eve enjoyed this amazing relationship. I, I struggled to put words to try to describe the kind of relationship that Adam and Eve had with God. I mean, I want you to think about your best day with other people. It was like 10 times that great. There was no Adam, just like we sang before, there was nothing in between, right? There was nothing in between Adam and Eve and God. They had a perfect relationship. It was fulfilling in every way. It brought every measure of joy. It brought all the pleasure that they could want. It satisfied everything of their hearts. But then the second part of the story kicked in, and the tragedy that Adam and Eve chose to rebel. They chose to turn from that perfect love of God. They were tempted, and they fell for it. And not only were they just duped, they chose it. They said, you know what? Instead of this perfect relationship with God, we're actually going to choose this. And they defied a simple command, a simple request that God had given them. And in doing that, 
they opened up the door that brought in pain and brokenness and suffering and sin at every level of relationship, every level of life, every level of, of everything that we experience. And God being good and holy, he said, I can't have your dirt on me. I'm white and pure and holy. And now you've brought dirt into our relationship, sin. I can't have that on me. And so I've got to push you out. We can't be in this kind of relationship anymore. And the moment that Adam and Eve left the garden and the moment that God put the angel in place to prevent them from coming back, God started a rescue plan. He loved them so much. And he loves humanity and he loves you so much that he's like, I don't want you living in that darkness. I don't want you experiencing that pain and that brokenness. I promise new life, everlasting life. And so at that very moment, God began a plan, a rescue plan, a plan of redemption, a plan that's rooted in love and says, man, I'm coming for you and I'm going to make myself known. And throughout the whole Old Testament, when we look through the scriptures, Time and time again, what we see is God just constantly delivering his people. And his people were dumb, blind sheep, constantly messing it up, constantly turning our back on God, constantly leaving him. And yet his patience and his grace and his love for us caused him to pursue us and to continue to draw us back to him. And that plan culminated in the apex of the most glorious love story that's ever been told because of Jesus. That in eternity first, he said to Jesus, I'm going to need you to go. I'm going to need you to give up your life. I'm going to need you to, to really pay for all those mistakes that our creation is having. And so Jesus shows up on the scene and he says, I'm the way and the truth and the life. And nobody comes back to the Father except through me. That in my life, you find the wholeness and completeness that you want. And, and simply all you need to do is just acknowledge that. Just admit that you're a mess. Admit that you're making mistakes and that you're, you're dirty with all of this sin. And I promise to forgive you. I promise to give you a new life. I promise to give you a life with me forever and ever and ever. And so Jesus came and he spoke truth and he pulled the curtain back and he said, there's another story. There's a bigger story than your story. And I'm part of that story. I'm part of God's story to come and save you and to redeem you and to give you hope. And he gave that story and he went to the cross and he gave up his life and he defeated death by resurrecting and demonstrating that there's no power that sin has over him. There's no power that death has over him. He defeated it. And you and I are in this story right now. There's the first three chapters of Genesis and the last 22 chapters of Revelation that tells what's happening next. The restoration, that he's coming back. Like the stuff that you and I are dealing with now, it's going to go away permanently. Like we're going to experience new life, whole life in him. That's the story. That's the story that you and I are in. And that's the story that Jesus says today. He's like, hello, it's not about you. It's about me. It's about this story. And here's what I know. When I live in that story, when I pull down my road and see my neighbors outside, I think, oh, yeah. This is what's happening. Like the dawn hasn't broken on their spiritual day yet. Like they haven't seen the light yet. They haven't yet come to know Jesus. And God perfectly, sovereignly placed me in this house across the street from them and has given me favor with my neighbors and a relationship with my neighbors so that when I go to them and talk to them, that I earn the relationship and the trust that I might have the chance to tell them about God's big story. And you know what I do? I get out of my car and I'm like, okay, let's go. Let's go. Let's go. 
Because it's not about me. It's not about my story. It's about his story. And what I believe is that when you and I live in his story, what we find is, is that we not only come to know who God is, and we not only come to know this climax of the story of the cross, but we also become the people of God. That we get a new identity. That you and I have a purpose, a fulfillment that exceeds way beyond what your job, what your vocation, your school, life can give you. All those empty promises of the other stories. What Jesus promises is his story fulfills, gives us life, gives us new life. And the reason it does is because God the Father himself is rooted in love. See, that whole rescue plan, that whole, he didn't need that. He could have said, you know what, Adam and Eve, I'm really sorry you guys made a mistake. Sorry. We're done. It's over. Finished. Bye-bye. And God and the Father and the Holy Spirit, God the Son and the Holy Spirit, the triune Godhead, could live in perfect harmony for the rest of eternity. But because he chose to create, because he sovereignly chose to create people in his image, he loved. And not only did he love them as with just a pure emotion, he actually demonstrated that love when, that, when Adam and Eve and when we have continued to sin by pursuing us. This is what Paul says in Romans 5, verse 8. He said that God demonstrated his own love towards us. It wasn't that just God loved us, but he demonstrated that love to us. How? That while we were still sinners, he sent Jesus. He sent Christ to die for us. He sent Jesus to be our Savior. We see it again in 1 John 4, 9 and 10. And by this, the love of God was made known or manifested in us. That God has sent his only begotten son, his one son, into the world so that we might live through him. And that life comes through faith in him. In this love, not that we love God first, because we didn't. We're rebelling and we're distant from him. But that he loved us and he demonstrated that love for us. How? By sending his son to be the propitiation or atonement for our sins. Basically, that satisfies God's anger towards our mistakes, our sins. He says here that he sent his son. God's love for us is motivated by action, and that action was ascending. And so God's story is a rescuing. It's a sending story. It's a story of mission. It's a story of being on mission. And my guess is that most of us think that we have to have a mission, uh, that our mission, what it means to live concerned about other people is rooted in something that we're supposed to do. But I would argue that it's the very heart of God. Were it not for that, you and I would be left for dead. You and I, all the mistakes that you have made and I have made and we will make, all of those mistakes would count against us were it not for the loving and the sending of the Father. Now that's a story. And that's just not a story that's made up. That is a story that is real. And that is the story that is so grander, so truer, so magnificent that it should set you free. And that's the story, quite frankly, very simply, <laughs> that you and I should live in. That's the story that God presents to us, and he invites us to participate with him in that story. And when we do that, then talking about being a missionary, talking about being an everyday missionary, living on mission, that's just the natural outcome. That's just the natural outflow of living in God's story. Amen?
So when we live as an everyday missionary, let me kind of transition here for a moment and just kind of share with you some of the things that I believe happen naturally because we live in God's big story and not our own story as it relates to mission. Now, when I think about this, my mind immediately goes to the Apostle Paul. And you might recall in, in Acts 9, the Apostle Paul, who probably was the greatest missionary that has ever lived, Jesus certainly was, but humanly speaking, not the God-man, but humanly speaking, Jesus, uh, outside of Jesus, Paul was probably the greatest missionary that ever lived. And he, as you may recall, was absolutely opposed to Christianity, people of the way. Uh, he, was, he was empowered and charged, and he was a terrorist towards Christians. He would punish them, he would beat them, he would throw them in jail, and he literally had papers from the high priest on his way to a city called Damascus to round up more people from the way. And while he was on that journey, all of a sudden he encountered an explosion of light that was so powerful that it blinded him. The people who were around him, they saw it, they weren't sure what was going on, and then Paul... His name was Saul at the time because he hadn't changed it to the Greek name. But Saul was there, and he's, he's blinded by this light, and he's just overcome. And he hears this voice that says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul, in the response, he's like, who are you, Lord? And the response he hears back is, it's Jesus. I'm the one you're persecuting. And Paul's encounter here changes his life changes his faith. He realized the things that he was doing wrong were actually the things that were going against God. And so now in this moment, his whole disposition changes. He had his designated survivor moment. He went from living a life his way to living the life what God wants him, the way he wants him to live. And so they took Paul. He lost his sight. They sent a prophet to tell him to come bring his eyes back. And from the moment that he got his eyesight back, he felt personally called and responsible to share the gospel with as many people as he could his entire life. Free missionary journeys, the whole deal. Well, as we know, most of the New Testament is written by the Apostle Paul. And in that, he wrote to this one church, the church in Colossae, where he had never been to this church. He didn't start the church. He didn't even know the people. But here's Paul later in life in a dark, dank prison cell, chained, uncertain of his future, thinking he's going to die. And here's Paul writing letters back to the churches just to encourage them. And he writes to this one church. He didn't even know the folks, didn't even know the people. And do you know what's on his mind when he writes this letter? Do you know what he's caring about the most in these final days of his life? He's caring about people here in the gospel. He's thinking about, how do I help this church be on mission? And he writes this. He writes these things. most personal part of his letter. First thing he says is, I want you to devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving, praying at the same time for us as well, that God will, be, will open up to us a door uh, for the word. It amazes me that here in the midst of this simple, uh, this time, that the Apostle Paul was thinking about others. And he, he says, this, the way that we start is by praying. It's prayer. An everyday missionary living in God's story simply starts with prayer. Lord, I, I want what you want. Lord, I, I, want, I want the people that you care about to be the people I care about. Lord, I, I want the people that matter to you to matter to me. And, and I'm praying specifically, Lord, that you would actually open up a door for us so that we might have a way to bring the word in. And so this, this idea of just being available is what's important. 
Now, about a week ago, my wife and I were praying, and, and, and my wife prayed this prayer, and I want to share it with you. And it's nothing specific to what she prayed, but it's the kind of prayer that is actually a little bit challenging. This is what she prayed. Lord, use me today. Help me, help me not to make it about me today. This is last week. Lord, use me today. Help me to make it not about all about me today. This is a dangerous prayer, isn't it? Like some of you might be like, I'm not praying that prayer. Because if I, I might actually be one of those missionaries who have to go overseas if I pray this prayer. <laughs> I'll be that kind of missionary. This is a dangerous prayer. And we prayed this prayer simply because out of, we felt like the Lord was saying, just, just relax. Just let me use you. I got this. This is my story. Remember, it's not your story. And so we prayed this. And then in the course of a day, like, you know, we're here last Sunday, and I'm doing my thing, and she's doing her thing, and we connect after our gatherings, and I, I park way down at the other end of the parking lot, so she drove me down there. And it's like 2, 2.30, and we're sitting in the parking lot, and we're just talking about our day, and, and we got to talking about this prayer. And she shared with me that she had an opportunity last weekend just to be with somebody, sit with somebody, and just really have an opportunity to minister grace to them. And, uh, and I got the opportunity, I was like, well, funny thing, I, I, I met with a couple and just just had a powerful time with this couple just talking about Jesus and, and helping them come to know Jesus. And it was just so powerful. And we sat in the parking lot at the, down at the end at 2.30 just in tears because we realized, like, this isn't about us. This is about what God's doing. And he just simply wants me and you to pray, use me today. Lord, use me in some way today. Help me not make it about me today. Let me put the Brian Hopper story away. Let me live in your story. This is what the Apostle Paul is saying. If you're going to be an everyday missionary, it starts right here. It starts with praying. Secondly, he says, conduct yourselves with wisdom towards outsiders, making the most of every opportunity. And that's how we're going to live. Conduct yourselves with wisdom towards outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. What the Apostle Paul is driving at here, he says, after you pray and you say, Lord, use me, then it's live your life in a manner that's worthy of the gospel. What he presupposes is that there's something about your life and my life that would be a fragrance, that would be an aroma that would attract people to Jesus. That if you're living the Brian Hopper life, I can tell you what that looks like. That's, that, the Brian Hopper life is filled with like hiding from your neighbors. The Brian Hopper life is like worrying about finances. The Brian Hopper life is like not doing for things for other people, but doing things that I want to do. That's the Brian Hopper life. But what Paul is saying here is that I should be and you should be conducting our lives in such a way that it actually points people to this bigger story. How's that working out in your life? Is it all about you? The house? The pool? IRA? Like, how's that working out for you? See, I think we have a chance to actually be a witness, let our lives be a story that points people to Jesus. And the Apostle Paul is thinking about that when he's thinking about you and he's thinking about me. When the Holy Spirit speaks to him and says, if you're going to be a missionary on mission with me, I want you to pray, I want you to live, and lastly, I want you to talk. I want you to speak. He says, let your speech be filled with grace, as though seasoned with salt. Salt's a preservative. I like to cook. Salt, uh, different salts have different saltiness. But in this case, he's saying, like, everything you say should have meaning, substance. It's got flavor to it have, that is seasoned with salt so that you'll know how, to, how you should respond to each person. And this implies that you would be prepared and ready to share the good news of Jesus when the time comes. So that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ. That's what he's saying, for which I have also been imprisoned. That I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. 
I don't know when the last time you talked to somebody who doesn't know Jesus about Jesus, but if you haven't done that in a while, it's going to sound really dorky. Now, think about it for a second. If you're going to talk about Jesus, how are you going to talk about Jesus? And if it's going to come to sharing the gospel, what I know is if I'm not talking about him regularly, man, all of a sudden I get weird. I become a weird Christian. So I'm just asking you, don't be weird. Please, figure out, learn how to talk about Jesus in ways that are relevant and real to people so that when the time comes, because you've prayed, because you've lived your life in a way that's attractive and people want to know more, and the door of opportunity is open, that you are prepared to talk about God's big story. That's what this is about. It's about you and I living in God's story and being a missionary every day. And we can do that when we pray, when we live, and when we speak. I want to close out this morning. I want to share with you a story that I read earlier this week, and it just had impact on me. This picture, this is a picture of a girl's tattoo. You can see this. And uh, it looks like a a bunch of scribble. And she posted this on Instagram earlier in the week, and it kind of caught wind. It's been all over the place. And uh, when I saw this, I was like, that is so cool. I don't even know what that is. You got to know what that is if you're going to tattoo that to your body, right? So here's what it is. Let me show you. This is a scratch, uh, some scratch that her her aunt actually wrote down on a pad. And what happened was her aunt um, suffered a, a, a major heart attack, cardiac arrest. Her husband tried to resuscitate her. What we found out and what I read is that over the course of about 27 minutes, uh, this woman died and came back to life six times. And so they just kept, she'd get her heartbeat going, and then she flatlined. And get her heartbeat going, she flatlined six times, 27 minutes. They got her to the hospital, got her intubated, uh, got her blood pressure settled, got her settled down. And uh, when she finally came to, her eyes open, of course, she's got tubes and stuff in her mouth. The first thing she did was motion. She needed to write something. And so they quick got her a pad, and she scribbled this. And I don't know if you can see it, but if you look closely, what it says is, it's real. It's real. And, of course, the family surrounding the bed is like, what's real? What, what, what's real? And with tears in her eyes, points up, heaven. Heaven's real. Now, this encounter, we don't need a story like this to tell us it's real. But let me tell you. It's real. Jesus came back and said, oh, it's real. Oh, it's real. I'm telling you, it's real. He came out from the grave three days, resurrected, new life, to say, God's story, this thing we're talking about, it's real. It's real, and it's happening. It's happening right now. And this morning, some of you may have only heard this story for the first time. I suspect that many of us probably already know God's story. But if you're here the first time this morning and you're hearing God's story that there's another alternative story to the life you've been living, I want to encourage you to abandon your story and embrace the story that God is laying before you. And for the rest of us here this morning, we need to be reminded it's not our story, folks. It's not our story. It's God's story. And we can live in God's story. And when we live in God's story, this idea of being on mission... It's a natural outflow, and that's what we want. We envision every person here living in God's story and being a missionary every day. Amen? So this morning, if you want to abandon your story and you're ready to make that change, I'll be standing right up front after our gathering, and I would love to come to meet you and love to help you be a part of God's story to reach all people. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word that never returns void. We thank you that this story is real. And Lord, I pray for us as a church that you would help us live in this story. That, Lord, you would remind us of when we're tempted to live in our own story. And that by your grace, you would forgive us for that. And that you would remind us of what's true and what you're doing. Thank you, Jesus, that you came to tell us the story. And that in you, we get to experience you and all that you're doing in us. So we praise you, Lord. We thank you. Help us live today as a missionary for your glory and your namesake. And all God's people said, amen. Go in peace. God bless you guys. See you next week.